Our scripture this morning is found in Amos chapter 1. Amos chapter 1, verses 3 through the end of the chapter, verse 15. Amos 1, 3 through 15. You know, many of y'all have seen the, the jacket that I wore Friday night. And a lot of people, especially men, when they see me wearing that jacket, they'll comment on on what a pretty jacket that is. Well, men don't use the word pretty. But what a nice jacket that is. And I will immediately tell them that my wife and my son gave it to me for Christmas several years ago. And they'll say, is that real leather or is that leather? And I say, no. It is genuine imitation leather. God wants us to be real with him. God wants us to be real. So many times we go through life as genuine imitation Christians. I think Jesus had a word for that, didn't he? Hypocrite. The Greeks had a word for that. That's the word that Jesus used. God wants us to be real with him. This morning, our brother, let me turn back to it. Because you see that the title of our message this morning is a pattern of sin. A pattern of sin. And you know an awful lot of us. The, the word, the phrase that the Bible uses to talk about a pattern of sin is a dog returning to its own vomit. A dog going back to its own vomit. That's how the Bible puts it. A pattern of sin. 1 Kings sixteen nineteen. It says, because of his sins, which he sinned, doing evil in the sight of the Lord, walking in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin, which he did. That's a pattern of sin, beloved. That's a pattern of sin. And then we go through that. And and it talks about Omri in verse 26. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And in his sins, which he made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel with their idols. That's a pattern of sin, beloved. And then Ahab comes to the throne. And in verse 30, it says that Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Man, it's bad enough. To live in a pattern of sin. It's even worse to set the new standard for a pattern of sin. And that's what Omri was doing. And then verse 31 it says, It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. You think Jeroboam's pattern of sin was bad? You ain't seen nothing yet, Ahab said. And he went on from there. The pattern of sin. And that's what we're going to see in these nations this morning. 
Amos chapter 1, verses 3 through 15, and honor the reading of God's word. Let's stand. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke its punishment, because they thrust Gilead with implements of sharp iron. So I will send fire upon the house of Hazael, and it will consume the citadels of Ben-Hadad. I will also break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitant from the valley of Avon and him who holds the scepter from Beth Eden. So the people of Aram will go exiled to Kir, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they deported an entire population to deliver it up to Edom. So I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza, and it will consume her citadels. I will also cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod, and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will even unleash my power upon Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines will perish. So says, or says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke its punishment, because they delivered up an entire population to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it will consume her citadels. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword while he stifled his compassion. His anger also tore continually and he maintained his fury forever. So I will send fire upon Taman and it will consume the citadels of Basra. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the sons of Ammon and for four I will not revoke its punishment because they ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to enlarge their borders. So I will kindle a fire on the wall of Rabbah and it will consume her citadels amid war cries on the day of battle and a storm on the day of tempest. Their king will go into exile, he and his princes together says the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst. And God, we just pray that as you illumine the heart and mind of Amos when you gave to him this perfect and infallible word, that you would illumine our hearts and minds this morning as well. God, we pray that you would speak to us and that you would break the pattern of sin in our own lives. God, we love you with all of our soul. We trust you with all of our heart. And we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer, in and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. All right, we're back on the notes this morning. They were going, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's in First Kings, and, and his sermon is from Amos, and I got nothing back, you know. <laughs> We've seen, I mean, as we see this, this opening in, in Amos' book, in Amos' prophecy, and I understand last week I said Amos is not a prophet. Uh, and, and that was said kind of in passing with no context. I'll contextualize that for you in a couple of hours. I mean, in a couple of minutes. But Amos was a layperson. Now, I chose that word real carefully. Not because I want to be politically correct and not use the word layman. 
I want us to understand that God can use male and female to accomplish His ministry where He wants us to be. We saw that in Joel when we were in the last chapter of Joel and we won't go back over that again. But we understand that Amos was a student of history. He wasn't theologically trained. He didn't go to any of the prophet schools. He didn't have any fancy letters after his name. He didn't wear the fancy robe. He didn't have the phylacteries on his, on his wrist and on his forehead. This was a working man. This was a working man that loved God with all of his heart. And he understood what was going on in the world around him. In 1 Chronicles 12.32, we read about a, a tribe. It says, of the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. Amen? These were men, and we could go back in. Who, who was Issachar? Anybody remember? He was one of the twelve tribes of, of Israel. And these were a tribe that, that God had given wisdom to. This tribe that's being spoken of at this time is during David's time. And they saw what was going on in the land around them, and God had given them wisdom on what should be done at that time. In Luke 12, 54 through 56, Jesus was also saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say a shower is coming. And so it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say it will be a hot day. And it turns out that way. You hypocrites. You know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present time? Do you understand what he was saying? You can look. I mean, I could probably go outside right now and go, pretty good chance it's going to rain because I'll see a dark cloud. They could do that. And we know in our area that if the wind is blowing from the south, it's probably going to be a warm day. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. These people didn't have the understanding of the earth that we do that is hotter at the equator and wind coming from that. They didn't understand any of that. They just knew a cause and effect. When the wind comes from the south, it's warm. And yet here was the Messiah the one that they had read about all of their lives, standing in their very midst. They have seen the signs that he has done. They have heard his teaching, and they do not recognize who is standing before them. Why did Jesus rebuke them? Because they were so steeped in their cultural and religious tradition that they missed what God was doing in their midst. Why did the church, Pastor Chuck Smith pastored at the time during that movie, almost die? 
because the religious and cultural tradition of that church caused them to miss what God was doing just outside their door. And if it had been up to some of the people in that church, the people that God was ministering through wouldn't have even been allowed inside. God is speaking to these people. Romans 13, 11 through 14, Paul puts it this way. Do this knowing the time. Listen, beloved, if you're here and you know Jesus as your Lord and your Master, you know the time. You know that it's time, it is high time for the church of Jesus Christ to move out with what we've been keeping secret for far too long. It is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now... Salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Somebody say amen. You understand when you woke up this morning that Jesus' return is now 24 hours closer than it was when you woke up yesterday morning? That's a pretty good deal to me. Not that I got to wake up. I'm like Paul. I don't care one way or the other. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. I either wake up on this earth and I'm one day closer to being with Jesus or I wake up in heaven and I'm with Him. Either way, it's a glorious day. Therefore, understanding what Paul just said in verses 11 and 12, let us lay aside the pattern of sin. That's what he's saying. Let us lay aside the deeds of darkness. Let us lay aside that pattern of sin. Let us break that cycle of for three transgressions and for four and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day. Not in carousing and drunkenness. Not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. Not in strife and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Make no provision for the flesh. We love to hedge our bets, don't we? Well, preacher, we're Baptists, we don't gamble. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a whole other sermon. Some of y'all are thinking I'm talking about the lottery. I am, but that's a whole other sermon. We like to hedge our bets. We like to do things in a way that produce the results that we want. And we want, listen to me, beloved, we want to make sure that if God doesn't come through for us, that things still turn out the way we wanted. Mm-hmm. For three transgressions and for four. That's a pattern of sin, beloved. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. See, the problem that Amos and Jesus and Paul are all addressing 
is a pattern of sin. What's God teaching? He is patient in the midst of our sin. Somebody say amen. He is patient in the midst of our sin. How many of y'all love taking pass-fail courses in college? Okay. 51 or better, you passed. 50 or worse, you failed. Okay. I didn't like those kind of courses. You know, I, I, I want something I can measure myself against. But aren't you glad, listen to me, aren't you glad that the first time you sinned after you got saved, God didn't take you out? Aren't you glad the first time you sinned this morning, He didn't take you out? God is patient with our sin. But Amos is telling these people, these groups of nations, and we'll see next week when he starts getting a little bit closer to home, when the amens get a little bit softer. See, this would be, let me me contextualize it for you. For three transgressions of the Catholics and for four, we're going, amen! For three transgressions of the Pentecostals and for four, oh, amen, preach it, preacher. Oh, you on fire this morning. For three transgressions of the free will Baptist and for four. Whew, he's getting a bit close to home, but mm, he's on fire this morning. For three transgressions of Southern Baptist and for four. Oh, now you done switched from preaching to meddling. And the amens have stopped. That's what Amos is doing in these first two chapters. Let me, let me teach you a secret about when you encounter a salesperson. Have you ever noticed they ask you a lot of questions? Have you ever noticed that all of the questions, most of the questions that they ask you, are designed to be answered with yes? Have you ever noticed that? Why? So that when they ask you to buy the product, you're already used to saying yes. Okay? That's why they do it. You're being manipulated. Well, you knew that anyway if, if you were with a salesperson. And if you're a salesperson, I'm not coming after you. I went through sales school myself. I used to do it. But the point that all of the, them are making is that it is not for one sin that God brings us down. What he is saying about all of these nations is that there has been a pattern of sin and it's not going to be broken. God is omniscient. He knows this pattern of sin is not going to be broken. We saw it with Israel and what Brother Lou read for us this morning. God is now prophesying. He has sent Amos to prophesy to the very people that Brother Lou was reading about this morning, the the northern kingdom, Israel. And God knows that this pattern of sin is not going to be broken in their lives. But even though I said that God is patient with our sin, judgment is coming. 
I can't give you a day to put it down on your calendar. But judgment is coming. Yahweh, verses 1 and 2, must roar. And Yahweh's wrath must come. <coughs> what am I saying? In the time that we live in, we face a lot of pressure. And we face a lot of temptation to focus on what's right in front of us instead of focusing on eternity. We focus on what's for supper tonight rather than the Lamb's Supper that we're going to enjoy in heaven together. God says we need to take our eyes off of the current. We need to cast our eyes on Jesus. Because only Jesus can make us like the sons of Issachar and help us to understand what we need to do. We need to allow Jesus to call us out of a pattern of sin. Verses 3 through 5. As I said, Amos is beginning his ministry and he's given God's word on seven nations. The first three nations that Amos condemned were foreign nations unrelated to Israel. So you know you're going to get amens when you go after them. Okay? I mean, even if we had a Russian sitting in the room this morning, if I condemned Russia, they would say, that's right, Pastor, you preach. The next three were relatives of Israel, thus bringing the judgment nearer. Edom was descended from Esau, and Ammon and Moab were descended from Lot. I said last week that Amos wasn't a prophet. That's not Larry's opinion. That's Amos' own diagnosis, Amos 7.14. He says, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't refer to Amos as the prophet Amos. What it means is that Amos was not seminary trained. All right? Or in some denominations, cemetery trained. Because they send men and women to their seminaries and their faith is absolutely killed and buried. Amos says, I'm not one of the hired prophets. I don't sit around the king's throne. And when he asks, you know, do you have a word from God that I've discerned? This is what the king wants to do. And so you say, long live the king. Go do what, you know, God has said that, that he's on your side. Amos said, no, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. Where were the kings of Israel supposed to come from? They were supposed to be descendants of David. And again, we saw in what Brother Lou started reading or read for us this morning that, that we got into the time where a lot of these men were generals. They weren't descendants of David. And so now this nation has gone completely or become completely unmoored from the Word of God. Verse 15 is, is Amos' call. We'll get there in a few months. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. 
So Amos is both not a prophet and he is a prophet at the same time. He's not a professional prophet. Do you understand that everybody in this room this morning could get the same call from God? Do you understand that everybody in this room this morning ought to be praying for that call from God? God, would you give me the call to go and prophesy to to your people, Mohawk? Could, Could I tell you something? If you can fog up a mirror this morning, there's your call. There's your call. Go prophesy to God's people. Because Jesus has shown us the times in which we live. Jesus, listen, we, we don't have to go very far. All we have to do is turn the news on and see all of the mess that's going on. Go and prophesy to my people. Amos tells us that God's judgment is going to roar and strike Damascus. God was left with no choice. The Syrians had gone too far. Have you ever been picking and prodding at somebody? You know, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody in this room has done it. You've been telling jokes about somebody or you've been talking a little bit smack and, and raising it up and raising it up and raising it up. And finally, you cross the line. They'd had enough. And they did something about it. God is saying... Syria has been up in the ante and up in the ante and up in the ante. I've had enough. I've had enough. What do we learn here? God will judge any of us whose behavior is cruel and vicious. If we are so callous that we reap satisfaction from shedding the blood of others or causing them excruciating pain, we will face God's terrifying condemnation. So we're good, right? We've never done anything like that. We've never been cold and brutal and callous. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. Y'all knew I was going to go there, didn't you? You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. I think there was this really important list of things in the Old Testament that that one made the list. I could be mistaken here, but I'm I'm pretty sure that one made the list. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Well, of course, amen, Jesus, amen. Bunch of heathens out there killing people. We don't need that in our society. Fram! But I say to you, oh, here it comes, that everyone who is angry with his brother, aren't you glad you've never been angry with your brother? <laughs> oh, we went from amen to oh my right here, didn't we? Everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, Man, that's got all of the druggies and all of the, you know, all of those people we don't like are in that group for us. 
And when we say to our brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And look at this last one. Whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell for three transgressions and for four. For three transgressions and for four. God cares about how we treat the people in his family. Verses 6 through 8. The major problem with the Philistines here is that they were engaged in human trafficking. I'm just updating this for, for, for today's terms, to use terms that we would understand. Because even though our denomination, our convention was born out of slavery, y'all didn't know that, did you? 1845, we met in Athens, Georgia, because our northern brothers and sisters didn't believe that a slaveholder could be appointed as a missionary. We did. And so we said, well, then we're going to form our own convention and we'll do things our way. That's a whole other sermon, but anyway. Even though we were born out of slavery, we don't use that, that, that term anymore. But do you understand that there are more people enslaved right now than were ever enslaved during the height of the, of the slavery traffic? And the main sin that, that God is going after the Philistines over is that they were involved in human trafficking. Verses 9 through 10. Here's the problem with Tyre. I know I'm ripping through this really quick. Tyre had the best natural harbor in, in, in the ancient world. They were wealthy because all of these goods were traveling through Tyre and, you know... Got to grease my palm for those goods to travel through my port or through my warehouse or whatever. Tyre had made a covenant with David and Solomon and said, Dave and Saul, man, we're your homeboys. We'll be there for you. We will absolutely be there for you. But then guess what happened? They commenced to looking around at the territory in Israel and they said, ooh, that right there is some nice land. And even though they had promised to be loyal to their covenant, they broke that covenant. And they turned on these people that they had sworn to be brothers and sisters to. Verses 11 and 12. Edomites, hmm, man, y'all know them. Let me put this into your mind in a way that would that would help us to understand Hatfields and McCoys. Okay, Jacob and Esau. Esau and his descendants never forgot what Jacob did. Never forgot what Jacob did. They carried that around in their heart for years and years and years and years and years and it polluted and corrupted their soul as anger always will. Anger will never diminish. It only grows. The only way to deal with anger is to just cast it aside. You got to replace anger with something else and they didn't for three transgressions and for four, 
verses 13 through 15. Again, y'all understand, y'all know the story of this one. The Ammonites. Who are the Ammonites? They are the result of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters. Y'all remember the story? Okay. And the Ammonites didn't really like the Jews. And the Jews didn't really like the Ammonites. And the Ammonites decided, you know what? We don't like the Jews, so we're going to make our own gods. We're going to make our own gods. These people were guilty of doing what they wanted when they wanted. And God shows that it was their covetousness that led them into that sin. Now, some might say that God is not being fair with these people. That they didn't have the Word of God. That they didn't have a Moses. They, they didn't have prophets. They, they didn't have contact with God's people. Well, they should have, but that's a whole other sermon. But yet they are under divine judgment. Why? Because we are all descendants of Adam and Eve, beloved. That's why God is going through all of these sins that these people committed. We shouldn't treat people differently just because they ain't from around here. We shouldn't treat people differently because of their accent or because of the color of their skin. Every one of these nations had a religion. Every one of these nations worshipped a God. They all had their local deities. They all carried out their religious cult just as Israel did. They had their gods, but Amos says they're all guilty. Why? Because their gods were false gods, and the worship of them always leads to sinful acts. Worship a false god, and you'll be false. And that, beloved, is the problem with a lot of professing Christians. We have a great deal of profession of Christianity, but the gods of the religious today are not or is not the God of the Bible. They worship a God they created in their own image. Amos says for three transgressions and for four. Will we turn from a pattern of sin and be the people that God has called us to be as we put on the armor of light, as Paul said in that passage from Romans, and carry his love and his grace into a lost and dying world?